Yeah, turn to Psalm uh, 145, and I'll just read the psalm for us. Um, On my Bible, it has a heading of Great is the Lord, a title for the psalm. It says, the song of praise of David, I will extol you, extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate and I shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth your uh, for pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness that word fame there can also be translated promise of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness the lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love the lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made all your works shall give thanks to you O lord and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your glory, shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. We can go home now after reading that, right? Uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to have a, a kind of a series. Usually we don't do topical series. Usually we're in a text of a book. But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a little series called Standing on the Promises. Standing on the Promises. And... You know, we've all seen the political ads, right? I mean, the campaign's coming, you know, full force with the election in November and everything. And you hear these people running for office, and if I'm elected, I promise I'll do this. I'll promise I'll do that. And, of course, we've come to expect that um, a certain percentage, usually it's a huge percentage, of those promises, what? Will never be kept, right? As soon as they get elected, somehow they forget. Um, That's not always the case, as we know, but usually is. It's part of the game of politics. A promise made doesn't always mean a promise kept. just doesn't work that way. And it's not only politics, right? It's 
even business as well. Sometimes you sign up for that thing and you think, oh, this is going to be the best thing. <laughs> and then you get it. And it's not, pro it's, not, it's not measuring up to what they promised it would be. Right? And so um, the promises aren't always um, kept by those who make them. And, and I think as we look through the word of God, it, it seems that if we go through life seeing, we, we see more promises being made than promises being fulfilled. And I would say that's probably true even in our own Christian lives. Um, it's just part of living in this sinful, fallen world, I would say. But I want to talk to you for the next couple of weeks about the one who makes promises, and his promises are never broken, they're never forgotten, uh, they're always kept. And the God we serve makes promises to his people. And unlike politicians, unlike businesses, he keeps his promises. And I think we need to be reminded of that because sometimes in our Christian lives, we can grow stale, we can grow dry spiritually, and we begin to realize that, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've been praying for years for this, and it's never, nothing's ever happened. Uh, but when you hear the news that God has made promises and he keeps his promises, because he's made those promises to his people, uh, promises that apply really, as we will see over the next several weeks, to every imaginable area of our lives. God has, in some form or fashion, promised to do something. If you look it up in the, the dictionary of Bible themes, it says that there are 5,467 promises in Scripture. Think about that. 5,467 promises. Now, if we were to go through each promise, we'd probably never teach on anything else, right? Uh, that would take a long time. So we're just going to pick a couple of those promises and take a little closer look at them over the next several weeks. There's seven promises that believers can not only claim as believers, uh, but there are promises that you can build your life upon. And that's what we want to look at as we kick off the series, Standing on the Promises. And today we're going to look at this psalm, and it teaches us a lot of things, but the one thing I want to focus on, we're not going to go through the whole psalm, obviously, we're just going to pick out some verses of it, but it, it teaches us how to respond to the promises that we encounter in Scripture. It teaches us um, how to use God's promises to us in the, in the nitty-gritty details, the reality of our life each and every day. And um, because you know what, when you compare the precious promises of God in Scripture with our daily lives, most of us would have to honestly say, you know what, there's an uncomfortable, uh, vast, large chasm between the, what the Scripture promises and what we actually see playing out in our lives. Uh, God has promised us so much in his word, over and over on every page, and yet too often as believers, as Christians, we experience so little of his promises being fulfilled in our, in our, in our lives. But it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. And so we're going to look at how we can uh, go through this psalm in, in certain aspects and, and look at this and see what it has to teach us. But we can walk in the fulfillment of and the, the expectation, really, that God's promises are for every day of our lives. They're for every day of our lives. And it makes it possible to, to really live that life that Jesus promised. Remember in, in John 10.10? When he said that the thief comes not only 
to steal and kill and destroy. But what? What did Jesus say? I come that you what? Have life and have it more abundantly, right? So are we living that abundant life? Now, this isn't a health, wealth message. We're not talking about that kind of life, you know. God wants to make you rich and all that stuff. But tonight we just want to look briefly at three ways that we can respond to the promises that we encounter in God's word. Three ways. And they're simple. I mean, this isn't rocket science here tonight. You're not going to walk away and go, wow, that's it's phenomenal. But I think it's, it's, it's truth, and I think it will apply to your life. It applies to everybody's life. So these are, are three things that will help us experience the, the full benefit of all the good things that God has to offer us and he wants to give to his people. And when I say his people, that means you and me, right? Those people who have committed their lives to Christ, those people who have, have, have come to Christ for salvation and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to follow you. So whenever we encounter one of God's promises in the word, uh, there are three ways we need to respond. The first one there I put down in the outline for you is believe that all really means all. Believe the word all really means all. And um, that's the first response, really, that you need to to believe God's promises. Uh, Not only that they are true in a general sense for some people, but you know what? They are true in a specific sense for all people, including us. Um, Look at what it says in verse 13. At the end there of verse 13, it says, The Lord is faithful. In all his words, you could put the word promises there. In all his words, and kind in all his works. The Lord is faithful to all his words. All his promises to all his people. It it doesn't say except. There's no restrictions there. Anyone can get in on this. It's important that we understand that. This is what really Peter was preaching uh, in Cornelius' home in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Then verse 35, Acts 10, he says, But in every nation, anyone who fears him, anyone, and does what is right, is acceptable to him. You don't have to meet a certain social, economic class Uh, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It's not based on our race. It's not based on our culture. It's not based on our generation or location. It doesn't matter where you're at in the world. All of God's promises apply to all of God's people everywhere, and that includes us. And And I ask you, do we really believe that? Or we have, maybe we've forgotten that. Um, the promises of joy, the promises of peace, the promises of happiness that he's made, the promises of, of purpose and fulfillment in life, provision, abundance. You could go on and on and on. Blessing, protection. All these things God has promised us, and they all apply to us because we are his children. But I think sometimes we're unready, we're unwilling to receive his promises. Sometimes I think we get in a certain spot in life and we kind of like it you know, a spot of misery, you know, and we're kind of down and, you know, things aren't happening well and he kind of got that, it's like that Charlie Brown character who's got the cloud over his head, you know. I mean, we can begin to feel like that. Woe is me, you know. 
God doesn't want us to live that way. I mean, yeah, we go through hard times, but what's our perspective as we're going through those hard times? Is it one to, Lord, just get me out of this. Take this away. Or are we willing to embrace what God has allowed in our lives? Because he has allowed it, and he's allowed it for a purpose. He's allowed it for a reason. You know, maybe you're dealing with illness. Maybe you're dealing with financial stress. Maybe you're dealing with social issues. Whatever it might be, okay? God has allowed that in your life for a purpose. And it's not to harm you. It's not to cause you to go in deeper into depression. It's to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get you through this. And I think sometimes when we're faced with trials, our attitude should not be, God, please take this away. But Lord, give me the grace to get through this. I want to be done with this. Let me wrap my arms around this big, fat, ugly trial and just <laughs> ride it out with you because I know that's the only way I can do it. And if you have that kind of an attitude, what happens, I've seen in my own life at least, rather than running, when I run from trials, when I run from tribulations, when I run from things that I don't like happening in my life, guess what? I may be able to run away from them for a while, but they're, they're right around the corner and they come right back into your life. It happens with situations. It happens with people. Sometimes we're faced with people that could be critical, could be whatever. We just don't gel with them, whatever it might be. And, and, you know, I'm not a real social person anyway, but sometimes it's like, okay, I don't want to deal with this person, right? And I have a tendency to pull back away from them. And whenever I do that, as soon as I feel some relief there, I turn around and I start walking this way, start talking to somebody else, and guess what? They have the same personality, the person I'm running from. <laughs> and it's like God saying, you're not going to get away from this. You need to learn to deal with this and deal with it in a way that I can make you a better person as a result of this person being in your life even though it's not comfortable, even though it's not fun. And so we can receive these promises with the right mindset. Now, if you look through Psalm 145 and you start counting how many times the word all appears, depending on what translation you have, it would definitely be in excess of 12. I think my translation has it 15 times, the word all. Um, and I think it's because the, the message King David is intending to convey here is simply this. All of God's promises basically belong to all of God's people. And we have to stop and, and realize that. It's interesting when you begin to look at biblical literature and it separates it from other um, ancient religious literature there's a difference and it, it's especially you see a, a difference in the literature of ancient greece um, and it can be found one of the differences is the way they use that word promise i thought this was kind of interesting in the literature of other ancient cultures promise the word promise they typically use it in this fashion they use it of a, a human commitment made to their gods small g. I'm making a promise to my God and he'll bless me if I fulfill my promise to him. But it's never used in reference to their God's commitment to them. Never. In ancient times, the idea of God's making promises to humans was non-existent. They, they just could not even fathom that. That would never happen. It was always you who had to make the promise to your great God. 
But the one notable exception, of course, is Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the one true God. He is different from all other gods. He is a try me, test me, prove me kind of God. Um, He's the one that says, I'll give you my word, and guess what? I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my word. He's that kind of God. And when you read the promises of Scripture, and since there are thousands and thousands of these promises, 5,400 plus, uh, you can be sure that each and every promise is true. It's not a facade. It's not a bait, you know, bait and switch kind of a situation. No, it's a true promise. And every promise applies to us in some way. Now, some of them apply to Israel specifically in the Old Testament. But even there, I mean, you can loosely apply it to yourself. You know, I mean, you don't want to misapply Scripture, but at the same time, it is Scripture, and I think all Scripture is inspired by God and given to us for a purpose. And so, you know, some people get upset. You know, people will quote uh, verses from the Old Testament. You know, I know the plans I have for you, and, you know, that whole thing. They all, oh, that, that doesn't apply to us. That applies to only Israel. Well, no, it, it does apply to us as God's people as well. Okay. So you have to be careful sometimes when you make those vast, those vast understandings of Scripture. But if you look over at, at First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter one, Paul uh, is kind of indicating this. Second Corinthians, chapter one. Remember, Paul's writing to the church here, and they had a lot of issues and going on. But he says there in verse 20, um, at the end of verse, verse uh, uh, 19 there, but in him it is always yes. And then he says this in verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What's what's Paul doing? He's pointing the Corinthians to the promises of God. And he says, you know what? Living a promise-filled life begins with saying that, you know what? I have, I will take all the promises of God seriously enough to believe them and to apply them to my own life and accept them as promises meant for all people, and that includes me as one of his children. You have to have that understanding. And so believing that, that all really means all in Scripture uh, is, is an important, important place to start. Well, secondly, the second way we need to respond to God's promises to us is trust that God knows which time is the right time. Trust that God knows which time is the right time. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, The eyes of all look to you and give them, and you give them their food in due season. Or you could say the proper time, some translations read. Trust that God knows which time is the right time. Notice he says there, in due season. 
He doesn't say, oh, he'll give it to you at your preferred time. You know, God's not a, a, a waiter to us. You know, oh, I'd like, I'd like the meal here at this time, God, please. No, we don't treat God that way. And this is an important distinction to make because I think for most of us, as far as we're concerned, the preferred time was yesterday. Especially when we're praying for things, right? God, why haven't you answered our prayer? We don't want to wait around. I mean, we, Lord, thank you for this wonderful promise. You know, you, you promise that we can pray for people and they'll actually come to Christ. Well, I claim this for myself. I claim it for my family. I, I, I wait for it in faith. Now, Lord, how long is this going to take? <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the next sentence in that prayer, right? Because we don't have patience. We don't want to wait. I mean, that sounds, um, not you, but it sounds like me. I, I, I don't have a lot of patience with things. You know, you can see if you drive somewhere with me, as my wife does occasionally, you know. I don't have a lot of patience on the road. It's like, what are you doing? You know, I, I'll, I'll just talk out loud to people in the car. They can't hear me, luckily. I mean, I'm not cursing or anything, but I am definitely frustrated. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, what, you know. I pulled up to an intersection this morning on on uh, King and, I think it was King and Catherine or whatever, and this guy's coming down and, and I thought, is he going to even stop? I mean, because he had a stop sign, and I didn't. So I kind of pulled up and kind of hesitated a little bit, and then I've kind of figured out he's probably not going to stop. He doesn't want to stop. He's in such a hurry. And I thought, I'm driving a 1995 car that was given to me. I don't really care, so I'm going to continue to go. If he hits me, he hits me, right? And I'm looking at him the whole way with frustration on my face. And he's looking at me like, what? You know? And then he kind of saw the stop sign and realized, you know, he was being a fool. But um, that could have very easily been me, you know, on, on doing that. But sometimes it's just, it's very frustrating um, when we, we liberalize our patience grows thin. Um, and it's important to note the key to living your life in the flow of God's promises. Okay, the key is to understand that this promise-filled life that God has offered us is basically, it's, it's a two-part process, you could say. And um, I think that's down there on the second page there for you. It's a two-part process. First of all, there's the fulfillment of the promise that God made to us, right? There's the fulfillment of the promise. And there's also the part of anticipation of the fulfillment of the promise. One part is expectation. One part is realization. Because every promise that God has for you won't be fulfilled yesterday like we want it to be. And maybe not even tomorrow. Or maybe even next week or next month or next year. Sometimes there's a season of waiting isn't there we we bring our knees to god and we're waiting we're waiting so when is this promise going to be fulfilled god well he tells us right there in due season in due season at the proper time this promise you'll see it come to fruition um i remember talking to a 
a, a pastor friend of mine who actually, he came here to Redwood City and he planted a church here. And he was very, uh, very good guy theologically and everything. A little more user-friendly than, than what I would be as far as planting a church. But, you know, he was into all that. And, and I remember him saying, oh, I've been waiting for years to do this. And God's fulfilled my dream, and now I'm here. And then, you know, uh, I think it was three years later, or whatever it was, you know, he's packing up and moving to Tennessee. <laughs> well, wait a minute, what happened to this great fulfillment of the, you know? And, and sometimes, you know, and I could tell the way uh, his, his whole church growth thing was, you know, people from his church would start coming to our church after they got saved. And I asked him one time, I said, what are these people showing up at our church for? I mean, he was, well, you know, the way I look at it, brother, we save them and you teach them. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's all he did. He just, you know, gospel message after gospel message. And, and I thought, wow, that's not going to help your church growth project, but whatever, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, real evangelistic heart, a, a very genuine guy, by the way. And, and, and I remember when we were in Tennessee, we were driving down the freeway and we see this huge cross on this major freeway in Tennessee. I said, you know what? That's his church. He has an incredible ministry back there now. Huge church. But what happened? It came in its season, right? In its due season, at the proper time. God fulfilled that promise that he felt the Lord made to, made to him as a church planter. He really felt that God wanted to use him in that ministry. And he did here, but not to the degree that he's using him back there. It's amazing. And I've dealt with other people who've, you know, um, even as a youth pastor, when you know, people would want to be married, and it's like, you know, just, just be patient with the process. Be patient. Be patient. And you know what? The ones that were patient, you saw God's blessing. And they were so, I mean, you know, on the day of their wedding, they were so rejoicing that the, the fact that, you know what, it took a while, but I am so glad that I waited. So glad. Somebody told me one time it's, it's so much easier to be single and wanting to be married than to be married and wanting to be single. And that's very true. You know, uh, you don't want to be in that second. You don't want to be married and wishing you were single. And so, you know what? Um, that person will come along. You, you just continue to believe God that, you know what, if that's what he has for you, it will come. And it will come in the due season at the proper time. Uh, you know, there will be seasons, what I'm saying here, of your life when you're living in the expectation mode, right? You're expecting the fulfillment of one of God's promises. That's a season in our life. And God has it there for a reason. And this means that there will be seasons when the promises remain as of yet unfulfilled. Not every promise that God makes to you will, could be fulfilled. He doesn't say that. It's for you. I think it applies to you. It applies to me. But sometimes it may not be God's will. So we have to be open to that. And during that time of waiting for that promise to yet be fulfilled, I, I think our spirit, our flesh, it's very tempting to get discouraged, is it not? You know, how you pray for a relative and you share the gospel with them. You're thinking, man, maybe this is the time. And they just reject everything you said and, or whatever it might be. And you get discouraged and you realize, well, I don't even know if they're, 
Maybe they're not even elect. I'm not even going to pray for them anymore. I mean, we get down and we just get so discouraged about things. And, and we shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't go there. You know, maybe you're, you're praying about your career. Maybe you're waiting for that job that, that you want, you know. Just be patient because God has what he has for you. As long as you remain within the will of God, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether you're married or single. If you're within the will of God, rejoice. Because not a whole lot of people can say that. But we can get discouraged. Sometimes we even call it quits. Um, you know, since, God, you didn't answer my prayer, well, you know what? It looks like it's never going to happen at all, and forget it. I'm not even going to pray anymore. Um, I remember in my own spiritual journey, sometimes reading that verse out of John 10.10, claiming that, God, you get, give us life and give us life more abundantly. But you know what? I don't have any money to pay the rent. I don't have any money for the car that I live in. I don't have any money to buy food. I mean, there are seasons in my life that it, the life that I was living, I mean, yeah, my needs were being met, but it definitely wasn't abundant. And yet, you had to be patient through that. Sometimes we feel that God promises joy, and the only thing we feel is despair. Sometimes we feel that God promises our life, oh, he'll give you a life of purpose. And here we are, we, you know, we can't even find a job, let alone have any purpose in life. Sometimes God promises us victory, but the devil keeps on beating us up. And guess what? In every fight we have the devil, he wins. We find ourselves back on our knees confessing these sins that are repetitive in our life to God, and we're going, oh, man, this does not seem victorious. I mean, I don't think most Christians I know would ever abandon God if they're truly born again, even though they're beaten down, even though they're discouraged, even though they're depressed, maybe. They're not going to abandon God just because some promise hasn't yet been fulfilled. But I'll tell you what they do do, and I've seen this time and time again. They give up hope. They give up hope. It's like they go on autopilot. They show up for church and, okay, yeah, I do the church thing. Yeah, I go to, and it's like there's nothing going on spiritually in their life. They're just like punching the, the time clock with God. And I think we often have this misconception about the promises of God. If I can't experience it right in this moment, then that promise must not be real. God has to be a liar. Well, we know God can't be a liar. He's holy. He's just. He's perfect in every way. Those kind of people don't, stop going to church every Sunday. They don't do that. They still show up. But you know what? They lower their expectations for the life that they want to live. They begin to believe the lie that Satan sells them. You know what? It's, uh, yeah, you know, you're a Christian and everything, but look, at you're struggling like everybody else. And what happens is people, instead of using that season, that season of in-between where the the, the promise was made and, and its fulfillment, that season, rather than using that season to grow in their spiritual faith and to be joyful in the Lord and to resign themselves to, to just say, you know what, God, I don't like this situation I'm in, but I know this is from your hand. Help me get through this. Instead of that, what do they do? They resign themselves to grumble, to gripe. And everybody, they become very critical in their spirit over every little thing. And we've all probably gone there. We've all probably been there. We've all probably done that. 
I mean, there have been times even in the ministry of this church when God has come through ultimately providing what he promised from the very beginning he would provide. But it wasn't an easy road. And it didn't happen right away. But upon God's blessing and receiving that blessing, I realized that instead of enduring this season with an attitude of, of this, this joyful uh, expectation, rather than doing that, I wasted it. I wasted it complaining. Why isn't he doing this? Well, we got this, we got that. This person, that person. All because I wanted his promise fulfilled in my preferred time, not in his due time. Because we think somehow we know better than God, and we don't. So living your life in the, in the flow of the promises of God means that you're willing to embrace, this is important, the seasons of anticipation as well as the seasons of realization. You have to embrace both. And this brings us to the third point here. We not only believe that all really means all and trust that God knows which time is the due time, is the right time. But thirdly, <clears throat> here's how you can live today in joyful expectation. Here's how you can do it. While you're waiting for that promise to be fulfilled to you by God, you can wait in joyful expectation because you know that the fulfillment of God's promise is what? It's on its way. It's on its way. Either you'll go to heaven or the promise will be fulfilled one day. Or God's a liar. Even if you don't see it right away. All right? Because God doesn't just make random promises and say, oh, you know, whatever. I'll renege on that one. I'll renege on that. No. His promises are true. You know that all the promises of God are yes and amen, and you'll be ready to build your life on that belief that that's, that's actually for us. So when it doesn't happen yesterday, when it doesn't happen today, you can say, you know what? That's okay. It's okay. Because why? It will happen in God's appointed time. That should help us sleep at night, should it not? From everything from, man, where's my spouse? Where's my job? Why isn't that person saved yet? I mean, think if that wasn't true. Think if that all depended on our appointed time. Think if we had to go out there and close the deal with people and get them saved. And it was all on us, you know, to use the right track and to say the right words. And boy, if we just messed up a little bit, that person's on its way to hell. That's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. What's true is the word of God. What's true is when we give out the word of God, it affects people. Sometimes negatively, sometimes positively. But that's not our call. That's up to God, right? God will show them. God will draw them. That's his problem. That's not ours. We're just called to be faithful to the task. And it will happen in God's appointed time. And then you can say with Micah, the prophet, in, in, in Micah 7, 7, he says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. In other words, I don't care what anybody else is doing. This is the kind of mindset you have to have to live your life, an abundant life, on the promises of God. You can't be worried about what your friends are doing or, oh, this is going on with this person. No, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, that verse says, my God will hear me. 
Do we believe that God hears us? I mentioned this Sunday. Do we believe in prayer? Or is it just something as a Christian we say before the food comes? If we really believe in prayer, if we really believe that God does make promises and that his promises can be fulfilled and we can actually go to God and petition him for things and he can answer those prayers. I mean, why don't we pray more? We respond to God's promises with a willingness to wait because we know that, you know what, God? We don't want you to answer this promise before the right time. That's where we have to be. That's, that's the point we have to get to. And I think that when we give that up to the Lord, it's just a weight off our shoulders. I remember early on, you know, when I was single before I met my wife, you know, just feeling pressure on every side. You know, you're in youth ministry, you know, why aren't you married? You know, it's like, and every single person would walk in the church, you know, the pastor that I'd be working with, hey, do you know our youth pastor? He's single, pretty good looking guy. Here he is, you know, are you interested? And I'm just like, stop. I was just shy. I didn't like that kind of attention. And I'd run, I'd hide, I'd do whatever I could to get away from these people. And it's not that the people were bad. They were nice, lovely people. But I wasn't focused on it. I, I just really was so consumed with ministry, it wasn't even on my radar screen. And then it happened. She showed up in the church. And it was like, what is this I'm feeling inside of me right now? This is not normal. You know, um, it was a very odd time. Because I never had anything that could compete with my desire to serve the Lord. And all of a sudden, it was like, wow, what's going on? You know, and then got married, and all of a sudden I realized what Paul said. Wow, you know what? If you have the gift of celibacy and you can minister for the Lord in a single, it's a lot easier than being married. <laughs> and it is. It is. Anybody who's married who's honest would tell you that. I mean, we, it's just common sense. You have to worry about me, myself, and I. That's all I had to worry about. I could live in my car, which I did. Live in my car for a couple weeks at the first church I went to. So the pastor found out. He's like, <laughs> I had a gym membership, so I'd go to the gym and clean up and stuff every day. But, you know, I said, why would I have to pay rent? I'll just live in my car, live, sleep in my office. He said, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't. That's not good. You know, Steve, you need to get a room to rent or whatever. So I, I rented a room for somebody for for several years, because I, I didn't really care about anything else. I was just at the church all the time, everything. But then all of a sudden I'm married, and, and, and I only have a wife, I have a young daughter, a teenage daughter, preteen, whatever, and I was just like, wow, what am I doing? You know, I can't just be ministry 24-7 anymore. You know, there's two other people in my life now. And, and it was a hard adjustment, for me at least. And so... Here's the secret, though, to getting started in this process when you're responding to God's promises with this willingness to wait for the proper time. Um, it's found, really, in a single word in this psalm in verse 7. Look at what it says. It says, They shall for, pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Now, in the King James Version, which I'm going to quote here, it says this, They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. That word fame can be translated memory. 
And this is a key word in this verse. Because in this psalm, like so many of the other psalms, David is talking about the importance of what? Remembering all the great and mighty things that God has done for his people throughout Scripture and throughout history. That's why the psalm starts off, I will extol you, God, my God and King, and bless your name forever, because great is the Lord. He goes on, greatly to be praised. Well, if you don't realize that, if you forget that, if you don't remember that, and you're waiting in anticipation for God to answer a prayer or to keep one of his promises to you, you're going to become discouraged very quickly. But God wants us to remember these mighty things that he's done for us throughout Scripture, throughout history. So what if we also made it a point to remember how God has come through for us in those times when we've prayed for something and all of a sudden he does answer the prayer and we see the fulfillment of that promise in our life. It may be a small thing, it may be a big thing, it doesn't matter, but the idea that, wow, this actually happened. I prayed for something and God answered the prayer. What if we went so far as to keep a list of every prayer that he answered and every promise that he fulfilled? And what if we referred to that list during those in-between times when we were anticipating the fulfillment of a promise and maybe that anticipation is growing a little old because the promise still isn't fulfilled and we're, we're waiting for that next prayer to be answered. And yet we can pull out something and go, you know what, I remember how I felt when I prayed this prayer. And I remember how many years I prayed this prayer. And finally God answered it. Finally, God gave me victory over this. Finally, God brought that person into my life. Finally, God answered that prayer of salvation for that loved one. Making a point to remember what God has done for us in the past not only helps us maintain a grateful attitude toward God, right? Because you're rehearsing in your own life every day. Wow, God, thank you that you, you answered these prayers. The list may be long. The list may be short. That's irrelevant. But there should be a list, whether it's a physical list written down, whether it's something up here in our mind. There should be a list. Because it not only helps us maintain that grateful attitude, and it not only bolsters that faith that sometimes is waning, right? It, 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 it kind of encourages our faith. But making it a point to remember what God has done in the past helps us to keep that kind of sense of entitlement at bay to realize that, you know what? Uh, it reminds us that we have no case for impatience when it comes to our prayer life or when it comes to God fulfilling one of his promises. Because when you make it a point to remember what God has done for you in the past, it's so much easier to face that season of waiting with a joyful expectation, knowing that, you know what? I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how if God's going to answer this, but you know what? He's done it before. It encourages your heart because you know this means that God can do it again. Um, I remember after I graduated from college down in San Diego, I was driving back to Pennsylvania and I stopped in Park City, Utah. I'd skied there one other time and I was in my 77 Buick Regal. Everything I owned was in the car and pulled into Park City on a Monday afternoon, it was raining, just not what I anticipated. And it was uh, 
I think about two weeks before Thanksgiving. And for cell phones, obviously, go to the pay phone, call my brother, and uh, was trying to get some money, some more money for gas, so he had to wire some to a local bank, and we discussed all that. <coughs> and he goes, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. And as I'm talking to him, it started snowing. I mean, really snowing. And I'm like, wow, it's like sticking to the ground snow, you know. And, you know, pretty soon there's a quarter inch half. I mean, it's really snowing hard. And I'm going, I, I think I'm going to spend the night here and just see what happens, you know, because I love to ski. And I'd skied there once before. And Park City is just a wonderful place to be anyway. And this is before it got real touristy. And so, you know, I thought, okay, I didn't have a whole lot of money. Didn't get the wire yet. So I think I had something at the local McDonald's or Burger King back then, I guess it was. And, uh, hunkered down in my car in the driver's seat with a sleeping bag over me because I couldn't move anywhere else because everything was in the car. And I uh, couldn't put the seat back and just fell asleep. And I remember I woke up early in the morning to noises and it was dark and I thought, this is weird, you know, and I opened the door and all this powder, just, you know, just a ton of it entered the car. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm trying to get it out and, and I'm getting excited. Wow, I mean, I've never seen so much snow. It was like 14 inches of snow. And I remember making my way back to, I had to walk because the car was just buried in snow. Walked back to the cell phone. I called my brother. I said, you know, I'm going to stay here a week just to see. I, I'm just curious um, if I get a job. I mean, what, what an awesome way to end college, be a ski bum in Park City for a year, you know. And I thought, I don't have any money, so I need a job. I need a place to live. So this is definitely something that, that God's going to have to do. And I remember praying very specifically, Lord, I'll give you to next Monday. I need a job and a place to live if you want me to be in this place. And, you know, I was getting cold. I didn't really have the proper clothes because they were in a suitcase somewhere in the car. And so I went into this little Holiday Inn and, and went in the bathroom and kind of cleaned up because obviously didn't have a hotel room. And uh, uh, I remember on Wednesday of that week. Tuesday, I made my way around town, filled out some applications. And I'm thinking, how are they, I don't have a phone. I mean, how are they going to contact me, right? So I would have to go back. Long story short, I go to a church on Wednesday night, little Bible study, Southern Baptist Church. Uh, the pastor was from Conyers, Georgia. And they welcomed me. And, you know, there's maybe 10 people there in this storefront and uh, started talking to them. And the pastor said, well, how about we meet for breakfast tomorrow? You know, because I told him, well, I just graduated from school and stuff. And and so he goes, why don't we meet tomorrow morning? And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, you have a place to stay? Oh, yeah, I got a place to stay. You know? So I'm not going to tell him I'm living in my car, right? So I slept in my car that night again, cold, and uh, woke up the next morning, Thursday morning, and, and meet this guy at the Holiday Inn. I got there early, so I go in the bathroom, at least freshen up a little bit, and, uh, you know, um, waiting for him and hoping he's going to buy me breakfast because I literally had no money yet because this stupid wire transfer still hadn't come in. And so I'm thinking, okay, what's this going to do? And we met, and uh, we started talking and about ministry things and stuff. And he goes, See, he goes, where are you staying at? I said, oh, I got a place. And I remember my pride was just so, you know. He goes, well, where are you staying at? This? I, no, no, I got a place. <laughs> and finally, he just looked at me and goes, you're sleeping in your car, aren't you? <laughs> you know, like that. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? And he goes, look. I said, you don't have to. There's a, guy, there's a, there's a couple in the church that owns a uh, or they, they manage a uh, condo place out at Park, Park West. And there's nobody there because it's too early. It just snowed. There's no skiers here. And they have multiple condos. They, they'll let you stay there for free. They even offered me 
uh, to tell you this Wednesday night. That's why I wanted to have breakfast with you this morning. And the long story, short of the story was by the next Monday, I had a place to live, this four-story cabin place that I rented a room in the basement. Um, I had a job. I had a season pass that was gifted to me by this couple. Um, and not only that, but in the church that I was part of there, this pastor decided to leave and go back to Conyers, Georgia after Christmas. And so he said, would you mind helping and just teaching until they decide what they're going to do? Because it's kind of a startup church. And so I'm like, really? You know, because I was already helping them with the worship play piano because the first service, no, the pianist couldn't make it because of the snow or something. And I was there and they said, Pastor, didn't you say you play the piano? I'm like, no, 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 I need the chords. All right, we got it right here. You know, so I started helping them with worship and just everything just fell into place. It was amazing. And, and I'm thinking, I would have never even dreamed something like that. You know, but it was, it was God's time. And you know what? I have lifelong friends that I've met there. And Beacon and I went, last time we were there uh, a year ago, we, we, I met with the owner. I worked at a, the restaurant I worked at was called Peekaboo's. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, wait, wait a minute, what, do you, what exactly do you guys do in this restaurant? And, uh, and it, it, it was just amazing. That's his name, Tom Peek. And his daughter was named Boo, so he called her Peekaboo's. And I'm thinking, okay, just because it's Mormon territory, right? So even, even, that even fit into my theology because, you know, I'm not, I don't believe in a lot of heavy drinking and stuff. So, you know, they asked me if I'd be a bar back and I'm like, well, I don't know, what's that? You know, well, you just get the Cokes and stuff. He goes, we do sell draft beer, but it's 3.2 or it's like water. He goes, basically, he goes, so, you know, because it's, it's Mormon territory, you have to have a liquor license for all that. And he went on and, and I had a relationship with the, the, the owner and, and it was just an amazing year. But when the time was up, it was up, you know, and God move me through that. And, and I just, just wanted to say, it, it came out of a heart that, you know what, I just wanted to serve the Lord. That's what I want to do. I wasn't concerned with titles. I'm not concerned with titles. I don't care about that kind of things. I just want to do what the Lord wanted me to do. And, and it was neat to see that fulfillment as, and I have it somewhere in the garage, I have a journal that actually has that prayer written down there. That, you know, Lord, give me a, a place to live in a and it, it didn't happen, you know, when I prayed that prayer on that Monday, it, it actually, all that came to fruition basically the following Monday when I was packing my car and, and I told the church Sunday, I, it looks like things aren't going to work out because I don't have a place to live and I don't have a, you know, because the one at the condo was just temporary because once the tourists come, they kick me out because I couldn't pay. So, um, but what happened that Monday, I went back to Park City ski resort. I'm just walking around, kind of looking at it, going, ah, I wish I could have stayed here. That would have been so neat. And these guys were working on their restaurant. I kind of poked my head in, hey, can we help you? And our conversation, I said, well, you know, I, I just came up from uh, San Diego. Oh, we're from La Jolla. And we just hit it off. You know, we started talking. And he goes, well, wh are you looking for a job? I'm like, uh, actually, actually, I am. <laughs> I got my car packed, right? I'm ready to go. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, we're not hiring this week, but um, why don't you fill out an application? So I filled out an application. And he goes, what, what's the school? He said, it's a Bible school. What is that? So I was explaining to him. I wanted to go into ministry and everything. And they both looked at each other and chuckled, the owners. Tinker and, and Tom Peak was the owners. The guy's name was Tinker. I don't know where he got that name. But <laughs> they were both really nice guys. And uh, he, they, they kind of chuckled at each other. I goes, what, what's funny? He goes, well, if you went to a Bible college and you want to be a pastor, then you, do you drink at all? And I'm like, 
like water? He's no, like alcohol. I go, no, I don't drink usually. No. And he goes, oh, okay. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's what we want to hear. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we need somebody to come in early, like 4 a.m. to open up the restaurant and everything. And he goes, these college kids we, we hire, they're all partiers. And they never show up. He goes, so if you're willing to do that, you got a job. You can start today, you know, even though we're not open. We'll start paying you. And I walked out of the restaurant going, wow, this is amazing. God answered my prayer. And I get back to my car, and I'm looking at my car, and I'm like, I have nowhere to live. I can't stay here. I can't even accept this job. This is stupid. So I went back up, and I told the owners. I said, hey, you know what? I said, I really appreciate the offer, but I, I, I'm just going to go back to Pennsylvania. And I got my car packed. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. I mean, they really wanted me to work there. <laughs> What's wrong? You know? And I said, well, I don't know. Maybe you guys know. I, I'm looking for a place to live. And every place I look is either so expensive or it's already filled up because all the, the spoiled college kids take off their last semester and come to Park City on mommy and daddy's dime and, and rent every place and party. And um, even though they don't have jobs yet because they're, they're so wealthy. And so nobody's hiring yet because the snow's not deep enough for all the restaurants to open. So I, now I have a job, but I have no place to live. I can't find one. And they both looked at each other and they said, this is amazing. And I'm like, what? He goes, you're not going to believe this, but you just said you came from San Diego, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, we have a guy, we have a cabin outside of town. And I'm like, okay, this sounds kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, they're both married. But he goes, uh, we have a cabin outside of town. And a guy in the basement is moving out. You can have his room. He's leaving uh, tomorrow, actually. And I go, he goes, the weird thing is he's going back to La Jolla. He goes back to La Jolla to, to surf for the wintertime, and he comes up here and does uh, mountain biking and stuff in the summer. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he gave me the address, and I'm thinking, cabin, I don't know. This is, you know. So he goes, well, why don't you meet us out there at 7 o'clock? So I said, all right. So it's outside. It's dark. So I went out in the afternoon, and I'm driving up to this place. He goes, you can't miss it. There's a Porsche sitting in the driveway. It's covered, but you'll, you'll notice it's a Porsche. And I'm like, okay. So I go out there in the afternoon, find the address, and I'm driving up to this place, and I'm like, this, this can't be the place. This giant A-frame cabin, just beautiful place. And I'm like, this can't, this can't be the place I'm going to live in, right? And I'm like, there's got to be something wrong. So I met him there at 7 o'clock. They talked to me. I met the other people in the house. They're all ski patrol people not partiers at all, they're help. You know, I mean, it's just, a, it's just an ideal situation. I lived there all, all winter till May. And, and I just say that to say that, you know what, I was ready to give up at that point, even when I had the job. I was like, yeah, I can't stay here. But God just came through in every possible way. And it, it was, you know, I hold on to that because, you know what, it's, it's just that one time in my life where I really saw God answer my prayer in a big-time way. And, um, you know, you can, you can stop and you can, you can ask yourself, you know what, what if you got offered a, a, uh, a you know, the, the top executive of one of the, the best companies in the world came to you and, and gave you a, an offer, a job that you just could not refuse. It was just too good to refuse. It was the ideal job. It was an unheard of salary. You had the picturesque office, windows all around you, and it was absolutely guaranteed. It was an ironclad offer. And then he says, by the way, we want you to start in six months. Now, if you receive such an offer like that, what would you do? Would you wait six months to start celebrating? I mean, you have the job. You know for sure you're getting it, without a doubt. 
would you wait six months? I don't think so. I think probably you would call your parents. You would, you would be excited. You'd be telling your friends, hey, this is incredible. I can't start for six months, but it's coming. I have this incredible job. And you would start celebrating. Even if it meant getting a part-time job that worked at McDonald's for six months, you wouldn't care because you had this dream job coming down the pike. Um, you know, it's the same with living these promises that God promised in our lives. While we're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, you can wait with a sense of, of joyful expectation, even an attitude of celebration, um, because you know that the promises of God are true. They're yes and amen, and he is faithful to all of his promises, and he'll come through at the proper time. Um, how do you do this? You remember. You remind yourself daily that all that God does all that God has for our for his people is good it's something that he wants to do for us and we can celebrate that each and every day the fulfillment of God's promise we, even though they're not fulfilled yet the anticipation because that's because with our our great God a promise made is what it's a promise kept so I hope that encourages you this evening don't give up praying for those people, those relatives that you don't know, that, you, that haven't come to Christ yet or their life's a mess. Um, continue to, to petition God and continue to ask God to touch them in a way that only he can. Continue to pray for <clears throat> this church. Pray for people in our church. Don't give up hope. Don't believe that lie from the enemy that says, ah, you know what, you're not having an effect here. You know, this is liberal California. This little church isn't going to have any effect. I mean, don't believe that. Believe that we can have an effect. That's why God has us here. You know, that's what we should be basing our ministry on, is that, you know, we're, we're called to be what? Light in the darkness. And we live in a dark place. So we need to start sharing that light. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for David writing this psalm. And, and Lord, I know that we just pulled out parts of it. And Lord, it's such an incredibly encouraging psalm hearing what you've done for your people in so many different ways and what a great God you are. And Lord, you're a great God, not just to Israel, but you're a great God to us as your people. And help us not to forget that, that you want us to live our lives in anticipation of these promises being fulfilled in our lives. And as the coming weeks, as we look at more of the promises of God to us and, and how we can stand upon them and and not give in to discouragement and depression. Uh, not give in to worthlessness and, and having a, uh, a poor image of ourselves. But Lord, no. Uh, we were so precious that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. You paid the price for our sins. We are definitely precious in your sight. And everything that happens in our life as your children is from your hand. And so help us to stop whining about things and begin to celebrate that, yeah, this is maybe a hard thing I'm going through, but you know what? I'm going through it with God because we know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, and for that we're eternally grateful. We thank you and pray that you just bless our conversation now and give us a, a safe trip home tonight. Thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.